1: Welcome to the Ellis Martin Report. During this broadcast, you will learn of potential investment opportunities involving publicly traded companies. These companies have paid us for exposure on this program. We ask that before you consider any possible investment choice, do your own research. You can begin the research process by visiting our website, ellismartinreport.com. Remember, if you do invest in any publicly traded concern, you do so at your own risk. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis Martin.
2: I'm Ellis Martin. I'd like to take this opportunity to discuss several of the reasons why I've decided to invest in Eureka Resources Incorporated, trading as EUK on the TSX Venture Exchange and as ERKAF in the U.S. I'm a U.S. citizen, so I've purchased my stock in the U.S. through an online account on E-Trade. Before I go any further, I have to state in full disclosure that Eureka Resources has been a paid sponsor of the Ellis Martin Report. The Smart Report is a radio program that showcases publicly traded companies to an audience of primarily retail investors and some fund managers that listen to the program globally. For the most part, company interviews are paid or sponsored. The goal of the companies highlighted on this program is to attract potential shareholders as part of their fiduciary duty to their current shareholder base to grow it. The greater their share price, the greater the market cap, and the greater their ability to attract financing at a price that creates less dilution to the share structure. Companies on occasion reach out to folks like me in hopes of providing that exposure. I will occasionally invest in some, but not all of these companies. I am not required to invest, just like you are not required to invest because you may hear a suggestion to do so. I will never instruct you to purchase any stock. No one can really do that, especially me. I'm a broadcast journalist and not a financial advisor. Even if I were a financial advisor, I would not be allowed to tell you to purchase anything, especially in this forum. Having said all of this, I will make forward-looking statements in this segment. Why have I elected to purchase stock from Eureka Resources? First and foremost, like you, I like to make money. As I'm putting together this segment, Eureka Resources is trading at just 5 cents U.S. That's 5 cents U.S., That's a deciding factor for me. I'd rather jump into a gold or a precious metal stock at $0.05 instead of $0.50 or $3. Not that I haven't invested at those prices in the past. Not that I won't in the future. But I'm looking for a 10 to 20 banger. What is a 10 or 20 banger? It's a potential 10 or 20 times return on your investment. I've seen it during the life of this radio program. I saw it with a company called Silvercrest Metals. Silvercrest Metals has also been a sponsor of this program. We witnessed their share price jump from $0.12 to $2.65 within 10 months back in 2016. That happened. Did I know it was going to happen? I did not know. Do your own math here. I believe that's a multiple of 22 times. One could have invested as little as $10,000 and earned as much as just over $200,000 in that 10 month time period. Imagine your returns with even a larger investment. It happened for investors in that company. Something else to consider in this discussion is the share structure of the company. Silvercrest has about 49 million shares outstanding. That's not a lot comparatively. And it's tightly held, which bodes well hypothetically for minimal negative volatility. Not risk-free, but not very risky. This happened, and it was a great story. It still is. Additionally, I've covered two lithium energy companies in the last two years that have also done exceedingly well, Pure Energy Minerals and Namaska Lithium. Multiples there as well, many multiples. Potential investors responding very well to their stories, and they remain, in my opinion, strong companies. Pure Energy is also a very recent sponsor of this radio program. Now back to Eureka Resources, a recent five-cent stock. That's right, a recent five-cent stock. Eureka has about 44 million shares outstanding, by the way. Is this story identical to any other company I've referenced or exposed to my audience? No it's not. But it's a 5 cent stock and I want a 10 or 20 or 30 banger if I can get it. That's real money. A 10 times investment at 5 cents is just 50 cents. And you've multiplied your cash by 10. A 10 banger. If it somehow hits a dollar, wow! I've invested before in other companies and have lost some, but not all of my investment. It happens. I've also experienced a two or three times, that's a two to 300% increase in my investment. That's not bad. In fact, it's very good. In fact, no investments that I'm aware of can offer that return. It's unrealistic and unethical at face value to make any kind of guarantees in that regard. But the returns do happen, and you never know for sure when they do. So why again Eureka Resources? Why besides the fact that it's a very cheaply priced stock and their share structure is very modest, smallish by comparison to others? One of Eureka's projects is in the Yukon, a mining-friendly jurisdiction that I've been to and will be traveling to again in July. A gold rush began there in 1890, one of the biggest gold rushes ever in Dawson City. It's happening again with acquisitions there by majors such as Goldcorp, Kinross, Agnico Eagle, Newmont Mining, and Barrick Gold. Most of this activity happening just in the last year. That's wildly significant. All this primarily within the last year, as I said. Additionally, another one of our sponsors, Western Copper and Gold, has been designated by Goldman Sachs as the number one copper project on the planet, right there in the Yukon, for copper. Full disclosure again, the Yukon Mining Alliance has been a sponsor of the Ellis Martin Report. But back to Eureka Resources. I see opportunity. Eureka Resources has the Luxor and TAK projects located in the Yukon's Dawson Range Gold Belt. Placer Gold Mining in the Yukon has been active since the 1890s Yukon gold rush bedrock exploration commenced in the area in the 1970s and resulted in the development of the expansive casino deposit eureka resources is positioned potentially to benefit one day from all the current excitement in the Yukon but wait there's more. The Caribou Gold District in British Columbia is one of the most prolific mineral regions in western North America. Historically, the Caribou is the site of a major gold rush in the late 1800s as well, resulting in the production of over 3 million ounces of alluvial gold and 1.3 million ounces of load gold. Currently, there are several major gold projects in development that could dwarf this historic production. Eureka Resources has three gold projects in the Caribou Gold District. The company has completed this past month an initial diamond drill exploration program and its Gold Creek property. Also in the Caribou District, $15 million of exploration work has been completed at Eureka's FG Gold project, where the company has stated that they have a million ounce deposit. That alone is a significantly valued asset. Eureka's partner, Canark Resource Corp, will be spending half a million dollars in exploration on the property in early August as part of a $1.5 million expenditure agreement for their option, over two years. In addition to gold in the Yukon and in British Columbia, Eureka Resources has a lithium project in Nevada. As I've stated earlier, we've seen what has happened with lithium projects in North America as of late. In January of 2016, Eureka entered into an agreement with Nevada Sunrise Gold Corporation, through which it acquired a 50% interest in the Gemini Lithium Project. In August of 2016, Nevada Sunrise optioned its 50% interest to Advantage Lithium Corporation, who became Eureka's joint venture partner on the Gemini Lithium Project with the Eureka serving as the operator. The Gemini Lithium Project is located in the Lena Valley, Nevada, and consists of 247 Placer claims totaling 4,940 acres. As you may have heard, the upon completion mammoth Tesla Gigafactory is under construction in Reno, Nevada, where the goal is to supply energy to ultimately produce 1.5 million cars per year. As we've stated previously on this program, the lithium has to come from somewhere. I could continue with more data around what Eureka Resources, Inc. is involved in, news releases, that sort of thing. But instead, I urge you to visit their website eureka inc.com and listen to audio interviews that I've conducted with their president Michael Sweatman. they're quite informative once again there's a potential opportunity for growth for you as an investment vehicle with this company Eureka resources Inc I am an investor in this company and I've purchased shares because I believe in the upside it is true I am biased because Eureka is also a paid sponsor of the program but no one told me or even suggested that I purchased the shares that I now own that is my choice just as it is your choice if you decide to invest in this company. Eureka Resources' trading symbol is EUK on the TSX Venture Exchange, and in the U.S., it's ERKAF. Do your own research and homework. The possibilities do exist of potential upside. There are no guarantees, of course, but without significant risk, there is seldom significant reward. I'm Ellis Martin. Thanks for listening. Join me for a conversation with Donald Baxter, the President and CEO of Alabama Graphite Corp., trading on the TSX Venture Exchange as CSPG and in the U.S. as CSPGF. With an advanced flake graphite project in the U.S. state of Alabama, Alabama Graphite intends on being a reliable, long-term supplier of specialty, high-purity graphite products.
3: Don, welcome to the program. Thanks very much. Pleasure to be here. Tell us why graphite matters. Uh, Graphite matters because... It is the key component in a lithium-ion battery. The anode of a lithium-ion battery is graphite. There's actually 10 times more graphite in a lithium-ion battery than there is lithium. It's a situation where China controls 100% of the natural battery-ready graphite. So as you build battery plants in the West, you are 100% dependent on one of the key materials on China. When I was in China recently, or shall I say Hong Kong, there was a lot of interest in graphite. Why is that? You see it in China. China is taking the whole situation very seriously. Where the West is missing the investment opportunity or the aspect of how important graphite is, China is not. China is gearing up. I, too, was just recently in China, and China is gearing up in a big way to produce battery-ready graphite. They already control the market, but they are also looking to control it further and, quite frankly, consume more themselves. For every battery plant built in the West, there's got to be 10 built in China. Speaking of consumption, what are the choices for coated spherical graphite in the U.S.? Alabama graphite. We are the only project in the contiguous United States, and that speaks volumes, because not only can we meet certain criteria for made in USA, we're also sourced in USA. So everything happens here, whereas as other potential sources of supply out of Africa, Brazil, even Canada, they can ultimately say they're made in the USA if they repackage or do some minor processing in the United States, but none of them can say sourced. And that's very key, we found, for some of our potential clients we're working with right now who are Department of Defense contractors who are mandated to source American. Which is interesting. You've had some discussions with various members of the U.S. Senate and the Congress, haven't you? Oh, indeed, yes. And and not too long ago, I sat with Senator Shelby in Alabama. He was on a tour of Coosa County, where we are situated. He was very interested in the situation. He got it. He understood this was not just about jobs for Alabama, this was about national security. He's actually on the Senate Appropriations Committee for Defense, and he said he would take the matter with the Defense Secretary.
2: If there's any geopolitical issues overseas, well, let's say Russia or China, it more or less us as an industrialized nation, a superpower, with regard to
3: sourcing the defense industry or other aspects of what we do as a culture. Oh, oh, indeed. And the Department of Homeland Security recognizes that, and it is graphite is on the list of supply critical materials. It's also on the list in in the EU. We're finding our potential clients, they get it. So they're very pleased to find out there is a source of graphite coming on stream that is in the United States.
2: I know there was quite a bit of interest in the graphite-graphene space back in 2011, 2012 i see that sort of happening again more or less don't you
3: indeed it is starting maybe a little slower start than it was then but the logical follow through and back then people were chasing rare earths and then lithium the next logical step was graphite and we're seeing that now i think the fact that it is such a supply critical material the investment community is starting to realize this
2: and i think recently our government has put an importance once again on rare earth metals and minerals
3: oh absolutely and graphite follows as well so again it's the same situation if you look at the rare earth situation that, that exists in China, you translate that to graphite, exactly the same. Supply critical material controlled by China. And that's the situation where we are looking to mitigate, where we are the only ones that can claim to be sourced in the United States.
2: Not only that, but let's compare Alabama graphite to other graphite companies that may be in the space. Yours is more ready for
3: market. In fact, it's ready for market than any of the other choices that I'm aware. Indeed. If you look at all the other business models out there, be it a preliminary economic assessment or a feasibility study, they're based on producing and selling primary graphite, which is large, medium, and fine flake. And those who understand the space, that's the key buzzwords back in 2012. That's no longer the case. We recognize that and built our business model on the product that everybody wants, the highest margin potential, and and quite frankly, the highest demand. So we believe that our business model is the only one that currently works in the graphite space. It is based on the supply-critical material, which is graphite. Shouldn't the lithium ion battery, in fact, be called a nickel graphite battery? Actually, Mr. Musk has said that. He referred to lithium as the salt on the salad, and these batteries should really be called a nickel graphite battery, so I'd say yes indeed.
2: So what does the automotive industry look like for you as far as a possible offtake or a possible client of Alabama graphite down the road? We are dealing
3: with a few car manufacturers and quite frankly to my knowledge every single car company out there now has an EV or at least a HEV and I think we're seeing that momentum growing and I think a lot of these companies now are realizing that there is a growing issue in sourcing the materials for this onset of this massive demand growing for lithium-ion batteries.
2: Now let's talk about the share structure. the company and the potential advantage of getting involved now, if that's your choice.
3: As any CEO would say, I think we are tremendously undervalued now. We're sitting in Canadian dollars at 14 cents. You see some of our peers, which are sitting at 10 times that. And I think the market is just starting to realize what we're doing and how advanced we really are technically. And I think our valuation will catch up to that relatively soon.
2: I remember some of these lithium and cobalt stocks when they were at 15, 20
3: cents, not too long ago, maybe a year, a year and a half ago Oh, indeed. And we watch that. We compare ourselves and our technical capabilities in comparison to some of these companies. And we realize there's a lot more substance in Alabama graphite than there is in some of these lithium companies. So we've proven what we can do. We're making more and more of the material and we're growing our list of companies we are giving supplies to, both DOD contractors and non-DOD. And we're starting to get more recognized. As we put out our information, news releases on some of the advances we've done, people are calling us up, wanting more information on that. The best example was one of our most recent news releases was where we've taken our coated spherical graphite, we've added a sprinkling of silicon, and that has taken the performance of that graphite beyond its theoretical limits. So that makes the phone ring and there are some typical household names that your audience would recognize. Well, unfortunately we're not allowed to speak them loudly, but pretty soon I think when the market realizes that we are dealing with some of these high level companies that I think that, as you say, that multiple on our share price is just around the corner.
2: Now I've probably seen you in three or four different locations during this past year. We're
3: in Los Angeles right now, my hometown. Why are you on the road so much? Why is it so important that you visit? The key thing is getting the story out. We're recognizing that we are undervalued. We're recognizing that the story needs to be told. We're trying to find the venues that will understand it. Out here in California, I lost count of how many Teslas I've seen. And again, I think here it's understood. I think California has always been ahead of the curve on all environmental aspects. And I think the electric vehicle and beyond that with the electric stationary storage applications, which will be far eclipse the transportation aspect of it. You see it here more. You mean like the Tesla Powerwall? Absolutely. And you see what Tesla is doing. I mean, Tesla is not a car company. Most people think they are, but it's, it's Tesla Energy. The Gigafactory being built in Nevada is not just for vehicles, it's for the Powerwall and, and also other industrial applications. And you'll see with Musk taking over Solar City that's part of the master plan to get off fossil fuels. A key aspect of that strategy, and, and for others as well, is that currently, most people don't realize is that a Tesla Model 3 has about 76 plus kilograms of petroleum coke in the batteries. Panasonic uses synthetic graphite. It is definitely counterintuitive to what Mr. Musk is doing to get off fossil fuels. You can't have a precursor of fossil fuel manufacturing in your green automobile. So I think switching to natural is a key thing that they're looking at doing. They can get a product for, say, half the price, but significant performance improvements in natural coated spherical graphite that we can produce.
2: So with all the resource companies in the space right now wanting our audience's potential investment dollars, why should we take take a look at Alabama Graphite?
3: I think looking at what we're doing and what we've produced so far, if you look at our news flow and the technical things that we've done, there's nobody that can match what we've done. Just what we've proven we can do and from actual technical experience. I'm an engineer first and foremost. Our task, first of all, was to build the technical legs underneath this company and then now get out and, and start telling the investment community just what we're about and hence why we're doing a few road shows and whatnot in order to get that word out and get people to realize just what we're doing.
2: Well, Donna's- always a pleasure to see you thank you so much for joining us today on the program my pleasure thanks very much i've been speaking with donald baxter the president and ceo of alabama graphite corp trading on the tsx venture exchange as cspg and of the U.S. as CSPGF. Listen to the segment again on our website, ellismartreport.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Eric Owens is the president and CEO of Alexandria Minerals Corporation. Alexandria Minerals Corporation trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol AZX and of the U.S. as ALXDF. Alexandria is an active, growth-oriented Canadian gold exploration and development company with strategic properties located in the world-class mining districts of Val d'Or, Quebec, Red lake Ontario, and Snow Lake, Flintflon, Manitoba. Alexandria's focus is on its flagship property, the large Cadillac Brake Property Package in Valdor, which hosts important near-surface gold resources along the prolific gold-producing Cadillac Brake, all of which have significant growth potential. Eric, welcome back to the program.
4: Thank you, Alex. Pleasure to be here.
2: We're excited about your 30,000-meter drill program in progress at the Orinata Zone 4. It's quite extensive, quite aggressive. Why don't you tell us all about it?
4: Well, it's really great because it's sort of a a follow-up to our last drill program, which ended in April, and for actually for which we're still waiting for some assays. The last 9,100-meter program really kind of verified our conceptual thoughts about Orinata, the idea that we have these high grade veins there, and it was really the first serious program that we had to attack these things and see what they're like. So that gave us confirmation of all of this. Even though we're still waiting for some assays, we were able to expand the Okay gold deposit, so to speak, from its original size of about 300 meters to 700 meters length, all in the upper 250 uh, meters with the past drilling just on the basis of the assays. If the assays come back favorable for the next remaining holes from that program, we should be able to even expand that further, but we'll wait for the assays before we go there. The new drilling is a follow-up to that. Because we have high-grade veins, we have a nugget effect, we have to do some fairly detailed drilling. So in part, this new 33 thousand meter program is going to be able to fill in some of the gaps that we still have there, which are quite many of them at this stage. So there's a lot of drilling to be doing to give us confidence about connecting the dots in the subsurface, as well as further step-out drilling. Basically, we're testing a two-kilometer stretch of the target zone, which in our case is the well-known Cadillac break, a major regional fault zone that hosts gold deposits over its length, and then an upper 250 meters over that 2-kilometer width with this 30,000-meter program. And our goal with that is fairly simple. We want to come up with a new resource estimate by the end of the year, a new, more robust resource estimate, and we expect to increase the size of the resources which were last done In 2009 increased the size considerably. We're expecting a minimum doubling of the gold resources there by the end of the year and we hope if things go well with this drilling it'll be quite a bit more than that.
2: So you don't wait necessarily for all the assay results to come in from the 35 holes. You receive some positive news and act on that. Was that the plan all along?
4: Well, that's been sort of the plan all along. We've got places to drill without having to wait for the results in one given area. So we have a main core area, which I call the open pit area, because there's a small open pit on the site there. And that's where the main historical, or I would say current resources lie. And these are what we've expanded already on, but we need fill-in drilling there. So we're keeping busy doing logical, useful work, that needs to get done for the future resource estimate. While we're still waiting over on the west, far away, basically, uh, what 400 meters away, so to speak, for the results to come in. So we're not even worrying about that. We know we're going to get some decent results. We just don't know what they're going to look like at this stage because we don't have the assays and we we can see the quartz veins existing over there. So we know we're still in the system over there. We just got to wait for the assays to know how to better plan our drilling over
2: there. The Valdor area has always been very prolific and discoveries like yours, potential discoveries, just verify that in one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world.
4: Yes, yes, correct. It's a very active area. They've been mining gold for the better part of 100 years, almost 100 years now in the area. Uh, About 25 million ounces of gold or so have been mined in the immediate Valdor area over that period of time. And then the broader belt, which continues west, uh, you can magnify that by three or four times over that same time period. So it's a prolific area. Everybody, when we first got started here uh, uh, 10 or 15 years ago, a lot of people said, That's all the gold has been mined out. And sure enough, since that time, some 26 million new ounces have been discovered. So it's still a good place to be.
2: If you receive the results that you expect toward the end of the year, what's your plan going forward from that point?
4: Our plan is to, of course, get that first stage, in our mind, first stage uh, resource estimate out. There's still a lot of growth potential beyond that. We're focused on a little two-kilometer stretch along the Cadillac break. There's four kilometers west of that. Till the end of our property, that would be sort of a next follow-up target zone is to test along that four-kilometer stretch, because there's indications from historical drill holes that there's been some high-grade gold hits down there over the past 50 or 70 years by the sporadic exploration that has occurred there. And of course, we can also do the same going east, and of course, we own 20 kilometers in that direction to the east of there. So there's a lot of potential upside, and again, we're keeping the shallow. We're not aiming to drill below about 250 or 300 meters and, and the, the idea is to try and see what we can get near the surface first. And, of course, we know that the gold deposits or deposits in general up in this part of the world tend to be elongate in the vertical dimension. So if you find something at surface, then it behooves you to start going deeper if you need to. So, so far we're avoiding that, but that's even a longer term down the road sort of option.
2: Now, you've been in the business for quite some time, Eric, and as you said 10 to 15 years ago, you became involved with this area and were very excited. Here it is 2017. And are you more excited than ever about the gold sector, the precious metal sector in general? And how would you tie Alexandria into that as a potential investment opportunity?
4: I actually am. I'm very excited about how things are going and how things are going in general in the industry right now, as well as with Alexandria. I think we're on the right path at a proper time in the general cycle that we've all been through many times in the mining industry. It just seems a fairly natural, cyclical industry. So far, we seem to be coming out of a bottom. We have a a fair bit of upside potential within the broader industry. And so our timing is pretty good to be starting to get aggressive in our efforts here. We're still fairly early in that the upward swing in the cycle. The money is still a little bit sticky out there, but people are starting to pay a lot more attention than they were uh, even in the recent past. So I, I'm really uh, pretty excited about the way things are going right now.
2: Well, Eric, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks so much for joining me today on the program.
4: Great, Alison. Thank you. It's good hearing from you again.
2: I've been chatting with Eric Owens of Alexandria Minerals Corporation, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol AZX and the U.S. as ALXDF. Download the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes and on your TuneIn Radio app. Join me now for a conversation with Paul West President and CEO of Western Copper and Gold, trading as WRN on the New York Stock Exchange and WRN on the TSX, Western Copper & Gold is solely focused on developing the world-class casino project located in the politically stable Yukon Territory. Currently in the permitting phase, Casino is poised to be the premier copper gold mine in Canada and the flagship mine for the Yukon. Western Copper & Gold, through its wholly owned subsidiary, Casino Mining Corporation, is committed to developing the casino mine in a manner that provides economic opportunity for all involved while maintaining the highest levels of social and environmental practices. Paul, welcome back to the program.
5: It's great to be back.
2: If you don't mind, give us a quick overview of the company.
5: Western Copper and Gold are developing the casino project up in the Yukon. We're looking at a large copper gold project 18 million ounces of gold, 10 billion pounds of copper, advanced project. This is a project that's got a full feasibility study, working its way through permitting. And not only are we in the Yukon, but you know our neighbors to the right are Gold Corp, and the neighbors to the left are uh, Agnico Eagle and Kinross. So it's a, it's an exciting jurisdiction, and it's an exciting place to be.
2: You have a recent news release outlining a Cisco acquiring the Orion Mine Finance Royalty Portfolio. How does that involve Western Copper and Gold specifically?
5: There's a royalty on the project, a 2.75% NSR royalty. We sold a portion of that to Orion Mine Finance in 2012. But that's really the money that we've used to, to finance our feasibility study and the permitting work over the past few years. And they've been, you know, a great partner. But you know, we're pretty excited to be now working with Cisco. And you know, Cisco's got a great track record in terms of helping move projects forward and being there. And you know, a royalty is, you know, no one gets paid until the mine's into production. So, you know, it's a different sort of partnership, but it's a partnership, and, you know, we look forward to moving the project forward with them.
2: Well, clearly, Cisco and Ryan believe in you.
5: Yeah, we were happy to see that when the news release came out from Cisco and and Orion, you know, it was a package of 74 royalties, and they highlighted the 20 top, and then we were in the 20 top royalties there, so it was a big transaction, you know, $1.1 billion is, is what that transaction was for the package of royalties, so we were happy to be featured in that package.
2: We've mentioned this before, but it bears repeating again. Goldman Sachs has listed Western copper and gold as their number one copper pick in the world. Keeping this in mind, what would you say to those potential investors considering resource stocks in this market going into the summer?
5: So I'm a pretty big believer in copper, and because if you look at what's happening in the world, it's just getting more electrified. There was a article came out this morning I was flipping through it sort of looked at the fact that the copper demand for electric cars is going to increase tenfold you look at what's happening in China they're electrifying more and more of that interestingly in China they actually have a federal mandate there in China to have you know up to 10% of the new cars be electric, I think, in the next 10 years. So it's a big commodity. I mean, in in terms of materials commodity, I mean, it's sort of second only to iron ore in terms of tons that need to be mined and sold. So it's a big commodity. What we're seeing right now is we're just coming out of an oversupply situation. If you go back to 2010, a number of mines were built and too much supply came online. We're now on the back end of that. And and that's what you saw really in October of last year when you saw the copper price go from $2 to $2.50. It was the realization that the supply is not going to meet the demand. And really to get the next block of copper Online and for the next sort of wave of mines to come online, we need three dollar, if not three fifty, copper. I think we're going to see that in the next year. And if you go back and look at what happened in October of last year, copper price went from two dollars to two fifty very quickly. It went, you know, moved that quickly in, in sort of about three weeks. So I expect the same thing to happen. I mean, right now, copper's. Nicely sitting at about between two fifty and two sixty. But I think when it moves to three dollars it's gonna do so quickly. And I think that's gonna happen, you know, sometime in the next six
2: months. Well copper is a universal metal used basically for anything electronic. It's also used in the construction of buildings as a ground wire, not to mention wiring in general. There should be a great deal of new construction going on in the coming years. Given that, and also the ramping up of electric vehicles globally, speculate, if you will. How high can the price of copper go?
5: Well, if you look at the last cycle, copper went up to about $4.20. So you would expect this cycle for it to sort of hit that and then go higher. So I think that $6 copper is a reasonable sort of target. And, you know, you look at that opportunity. I mean, copper now is sitting at two fifty, and companies such as Western is highly leveraged to that copper price. Copper at $6, when copper hits that, and this is why you want to buy junior mining names, is that they rise faster than the underlying commodity price rises. So, I mean, when copper went from $2 to two fifty, 50 our share price doubled. So if copper makes its way up to $6. You can imagine where our share price is going to be. So
2: while copper has been a less speculative play than gold or silver, that could change, couldn't it?
5: no absolutely and you know i think that it's been fairly unloved for the past few years but when you saw it break out from 2 to 250 you saw a lot of new investment that investment has sort of been quiet over the last little while so i think the opportunity to get in is right now
2: what's happening with the casino project in the yukon
5: we're continuing to move the project you know really to being shovel ready and we think we're about three years away from the project being shovel ready so we're working on the permitting we're doing a little bit of the engineering work we feel pretty confident that we're three years away from really the thing being shovel ready and, and that's exciting because moving back you know particularly into the copper space there's not a lot of good projects economic at today's prices that are in jurisdictions such as the yukon
2: i know that you and members of your team are traveling around the world essentially right now spreading the word about western copper and gold how important is potential shareholder awareness when telling a story such as yours
5: it's absolutely key. We've been doing a fair chunk of marketing of the company, and really it's, it's on the idea that this is great copper story, but it's also a great gold story. If you look at a project with 18 million ounces of gold, 9 million ounces of that gold is in reserve. These are rare animals. There's not a lot of significant-sized gold deposits out there, and when you're looking at the M&A space and you're looking at the major gold companies, for a major gold company to sort of go and acquire and then get... A large amount of gold in in reserve is is very, very challenging, and there's not a lot of good projects in good jurisdictions, so it's a real asset for us. That's one of the things that's really been resonating with our shareholders that really look on the gold side of things and then on the copper side of things. You know, this is where it's a great opportunity to get into our name, I think, right now. You've started to see the first movement of copper. You know it's going to move fairly soon, and yet you can still sort of get into copper names at a good price.
2: Let's not forget that you're surrounded by some of the biggest majors in the business.
5: The last year has been just an exciting time in the Yukon. And you know, Alice, I think you were up there even before some of this stuff started to happen. But I mean, there's been eight different transactions with major companies making significant investment in the Yukon. And importantly, it's not just the Yukon. It's it's right next to us. I mean, our claims touch Goldcorp to the west and they touch... 20% 20% ECNICO, 20% Kinross vehicle to the east. and We're getting surrounded by all these guys, and it's an exciting time, and we'll see where things go, but it's going to be an exciting summer.
2: The writing may indeed be on the wall. Well, Paul, it's been a pleasure chatting with you today. I look forward to more updates from you when they happen. Thanks for joining us on the program.
5: Well, thank you very much.
2: I've been speaking with Paul Sells, president and CEO of Western Copper & Gold trading as WRN on the New York Stock Exchange and WRN on the TSX. Listen to this segment again on our website, Ellismartreport.com. High quality but undervalued mining stocks are finally starting to attract the attention of investors. Get the latest news and resource stock investment opportunities with a subscription to Resource World magazine. Published six times a year, Resource World features in-depth articles on mineral area plays, commodities of interest, and valuable investment insights by highly qualified market analysts, geologists, and mining journalists. Go to
1: resourceworld.com to find out more. Did you hear something worth repeating? Find all segments of this program on our website, ellismartinreport.com. Once again, here's Ellis Martin.
2: I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Dr. Jack Regan, the CEO and founder of Lexagene, trading as LXG on the TSX Venture Exchange and as LXXGF in the U.S., Lexagene is a biotechnology company developing a fully automated pathogen detection platform for use at the site of sample collection which offers unprecedented ease of use and breadth of pathogen detection. Lexagene's technology aims to transform the way organizations prevent and diagnose disease in multi-billion dollar markets such as food safety, veterinary diagnostics, water quality monitoring, aquaculture pathogen surveillance, and more. Jack, welcome to the program.
0: Yeah, thank you for having me on the program. Tell
2: us exactly what kind of company Lexagene is, if you don't mind.
0: Lexagene is a biotech company. We are developing instruments to detect pathogens.
2: Can you tell me about the markets you're targeting specifically?
0: Sure. Uh, When it comes to detecting pathogens, most people first think of human clinical diagnostics. It's as natural as we all get sick. It affects all of us. It is the largest segment of this market. But I'd like to remind your listeners that veterinary diagnostics itself is a $6.7 billion market. Another big market for us is food safety. Food producers need to screen their food items to confirm they are free and clear of infectious agents before selling them to customers. If you combine these markets together, you're looking at a $36 billion market opportunity. Now back to what Lexagene is doing to try to tap into these big markets. We are developing a... Very advanced, fully automated microfluidic instrument that detects pathogens very quickly. Now, for these markets, speed is critical. On the healthcare side, knowing what a patient is infected with while they're still in the clinic still allows physicians to more accurately prescribe therapeutics. On the food safety side, it allows food safety officers to more quickly clear their products for direct shipment to customers rather than waiting days for a result by conventional testing.
2: Why does conventional testing typically take so long?
0: It takes so long because uh, the people collecting the samples don't have the technology available to them on site that allows them to analyze their samples. Instead, they generally have to ship their collected samples to a specialized laboratory where a specialist runs a series of complex tests that requires hours, if not days, to return results. The instrument Lexington is building automates these complex steps that a specialist would normally have to perform manually. By placing our instrument in the facilities where the samples are collected, will be able to empower the individuals who collect these samples, to process them themselves, and get answers back in about an hour. This reduces time to result down from a day or more to just one hour. As you can imagine, our technology will allow healthcare workers to better manage the care of their patients. And on the food safety side, it allows food producers to maximize the value of their products by quickly verifying that their products are safe for consumption. This allows them to ship directly to their customers rather than having... Their products wait days in storage before conventionally testing returns a result.
2: Tell us how Lexagene got started.
0: Yeah, Lexagene is a, really a spin-off company from Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory where I was developing an automated instrument to detect bio agents such as anthrax and plague. The instrument I helped build was adopted by the Department of Homeland Security be part of their BioWatch program. This is a government program for biothreat surveillance. Although the technology was very good, I felt I could design an even better instrument that would be useful in other markets aside from biothreat surveillance. The result of my work is the foundation upon which Lexagene was founded. The new instrument I designed will be able to process more samples at once, it'll screen for more pathogens, and it will also return results in just one hour. As for myself, as I mentioned, I'm the inventor of the technology. I have a doctorate in biomedical sciences. During my professional career, I've held leadership positions in large biotech companies such as Applied Biosystems and Life Technologies. I've also helped a startup called Quantalife launch their flagship product and got them positioned to be acquired by Biorad in 2011 for $162 million. Lastly, I was also a principal investigator at the National Lab where I invented the automated instrument that Lexagene is now commercializing. So I take care of the technical expertise in the company. As you are well aware, as a public company, we also need someone who has a deep understanding of the capital markets. For us, that person is my partner, Daryl Rebeck. He was VP and a senior investment advisor with Canaccord Genuity, where he raised capital for small companies. He has experience building value in startup companies and selling them for big profits. For example, he helped develop Caden Resources, which was sold to Nikko, for just over $200 million in 2014. Most recently, he was a senior VP at RM Resources. When we were first introduced, and I told him of Lexagene's potential, he resigned from Oren has thankfully joined me here at Lexogen.
1: Let's take a
2: look at the share structure of the company.
0: We currently have 50 million shares outstanding and just under 2 million in the treasury. This is sufficient capital to get us through alpha prototype development, after which we will raise about $20 million to get us through commercialization in one year beyond. In the U.S., we are traded on the OTC. Our current share price is about $0.47 cents per share which puts our valuation at about $17 million.
2: When will you start generating revenue?
0: Well, right now we are developing our alpha prototype, which will be done in November. After this milestone, we anticipate closing the round of funding I just mentioned, which will provide us the capital we need to go commercial at the end of 2018. So revenue will start rolling in at the end of next year.
2: This is a long time to wait. Why should my listeners invest in your company?
0: Yes, it may sound like a long time to wait, but we are building a highly technical piece of equipment, and this isn't something that can be done in haste. We have a staged approach to building quality instrumentation, so that when we hit the market, we will be confident that our instrument will be robust and offer best-in-class detection capabilities.
2: Do you believe your valuation is potentially low?
0: Well, I'm not surprised by our current low valuation, since we have not yet begun to really get our story out into the public. Some folks are still concerned the prototype isn't done yet, but we are on schedule with development, and based on our preliminary studies, we are very confident it will work as advertised. Once we get on the market, I think there will be fast adoption, so we'll start generating revenue quickly.
2: What is your exit plan?
0: We are positioning ourselves to be acquired by a bigger biotech company when the time is right. From my past experiences, I believe the best time is within the first year of generating revenue. So that is about two or three years from now. Although we may entertain offers earlier, the reason for waiting is because I believe once we get the product on the market, we will provide the greatest return of investment for our shareholders. If you look at other startups in the biodetection space that were recently acquired, the companies that come to mind are HandyLab, which was acquired in 2009 for $275 million. We also have BioFire, which was acquired in 2013 for $450 million, and also Acuum, which was acquired in 2014 for also $450 million. We are now trading at just 17 million. Our low valuation is because we are still in development and are just starting to get the story out. However, I do think it is not unreasonable to think that in two to three years' time, we'll be at comparable valuations to these companies. So for those investors wanting to get in early, I really do think that Lexagene is an exceptional opportunity.
2: Well, Jack, it's been a pleasure learning about your company today. I look forward to speaking with you again in the very near future. Thanks so much for joining me today on the program.
0: Certainly. Thanks again for having me on. Appreciate
2: it. I've been speaking with Dr. Jack Regan, the CEO and founder of Lexagene, trading as LXG on the TSX Venture Exchange and as LXXGF in the U.S. Listen to this segment again on our website, EllisMartinReport.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Ivan Bebek, the Executive Chairman of Oren Resources, trading on the TSX as AUG and in the U.S. as GGCTF. Oren is focused on scalable high-grade gold deposits in established mining jurisdictions. Which to date include the Committee Bay and Gibson's McCoy projects located in Nunavut, Canada, the Homestake Ridge project in British Columbia, and a portfolio of projects in southern Peru. Ivan, welcome to the program. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. If you don't mind, give us a background on the company.
6: Orin Resources is a uh, Canadian gold exploration company that's assembled a world class gold exploration portfolio between Canada and Peru. We did this in the downturn of the mining market, which we saw in the last four years, and we hired some of the best technical people in the world to go with a big portfolio that we built. These gentlemen are predominantly previously from Newmont, one of the largest gold producers in the world. And we've taken on approach with Oren to go and explore a majors portfolio in a junior with a majors exploration team. If you don't mind, give us a previous history of the company. In other words, how did it come about? Tell us about the group. So in 2005, myself and a partner, Sean Wallace, we founded a company called Keegan Resources, which was our first venture to go find a world-class gold mine. Sean and I were successful in doing that. We discovered 5 million ounces of gold in Ghana from zero acquired five more, which created a 10 million ounce company that's producing about a quarter million ounces a year right now. Caden was the next company that we created. So this is our third company. Caden was the same game plan that we had with Keegan, but quickly got into discovery in Mexico. And in the middle of the downturn, after about a hundred drill holes, no official resource, we sold the company for $205 million to Agnico Eagle. If you own shares of Caden, you'd own shares of Agnico Eagle, which have doubled since that transaction today. So it was quite a remarkable feat in the middle of the bear market. And on the back of that success, we took some of the liquidity and the the money that was made and we assembled Oren. And that's where we had the capital and the ability to go acquire these projects, as well as these people in in the bear market before we started to see a turn in the gold space.
2: Now, you mentioned Agnico Eagle. You've got a relationship with another major. That company's called Goldcorp. It's very significant. Let's talk about that.
6: Yeah, Goldcorp is uh, a recent investor. As of uh, January of this year, they bought about $36 million worth of Oren, which gave them about a 12.5% ownership interest in our company. They weren't the only major that was interested in what we were doing. And if you looked at what was happening in the turn of the market, a lot of corporates started to invest into Canadian juniors. Gold Corp's investment in the premium of the investment that came alongside us, coupled with their familiarity with the jurisdictions we're working in, was something that really gave us a comfort level of going on with a big partner to go and explore these major properties that we had acquired. I think the appeal in Oren for Gold Corp and some of the other majors that have been looking at us has been this pipeline of exploration projects. What I mean by that is we have seven projects. We have over 25 targets of things that could become world-class major discoveries. To be real simple, we have 25 shots at finding another Caden or another Keegan in one company. You know, some of these projects are very advanced that have low risk to find more and some are higher risk but have massive reward. We own everything. I think the appeal of high-grade gold in the Canadian projects and Oxide Gold in Peru is really what intrigued Goldcorp alongside our technical team.
2: Speaking of exploration, you have a very aggressive, 55,000 meter discovery drill program.
6: This is a program I don't think it's ever been done before where people have drilled this much discovery drilling in a six month period. What I mean by discovery drilling, when we go out there and explore for mines, a lot of the times you'll find a discovery and then you'll start to delineate that discovery. You'll start to put together a resource around it. But the most profitable hole that a company can drill as an investment is that first discovery hole. We're going to drill over 200 discovery holes in six months within that 55,000 meters to go find new gold mines. And imagining one hole could double or triple the share price, we're going to have 200 or more different shots at doing that with this discovery programs. A lot more has to go into it after you make a discovery to create a multi-billion dollar company or an asset, but that initial hole is where the biggest lift is being felt by investors. The fact that we're doing 55,000 meters of discovery drilling in a six-month period is something that we've never seen before, not in my 18 years of the business. And how we're doing this is solely responsibly of the technical team. There's about 14 members, they're all different experts of different aspects of geology, they Predominantly come from majors and they all have their own background, but when they take apart a target, the intensity of science that they apply, it's like nothing I've ever seen before. It's really a militant program because these guys are so disciplined and they work around the clock to bring these targets and the possibility of finding these gold deposits to the most efficient and and the shortest timeline possible.
2: Let's talk about the management team and the management style because I'm hearing you talk and I'm thinking how do you possibly manage all that?
6: It's our third company, so it's our biggest one by an undertaking of projects and people at the same time. And I think that the successes we've had in the past, they've been defined by our anti-dilutive style. We usually don't have too many shares out. The quality of shareholders, we have some of the best shareholders in the world that follow our success. That both coupled gives us the ability to finance. If you have a very strong ability to finance and monetize your successes as we've done twice before. It's very appealing towards people to work with an organization that is going to be stable financially. It's going to be able to go explore these big projects and go for the big discoveries of these gold deposits. I think that the one common thing you would find across any of our our management team is the tenacity that exists and the work ethic. Those two things are really what separates us from a lot of other companies. We will work harder in bear markets if necessary. We are very share price cognizant and performance cognizant because That's what allows us to finance and go and do these things. Because we have a very good balance of corporate, technical, and financial people on the team, I think that balance is very welcomed by everybody on the organization that each department will be looked after properly.
2: What can our listeners look forward to possibly hearing about
6: during the next 12 months? I think your listeners can look forward to hearing about some of the largest gold discoveries in the world that'll be done this year. I say that by nature of the targets. They certainly have the expression, either on surface or through the science, that there could be some of the biggest discoveries in the world you know the team has a history of making those kind of discoveries and their previous companies that they've worked with so that's what we're going for and that doesn't stop you know the drill starts turning on June 10th and it doesn't stop turning until somebody else is turning it for us you mentioned share
2: price let's quickly talk about the share structure
6: we have uh, 76 million shares out we have about 35 million dollars cash in the Treasury current price is around 340 330 Canadian per share the management owns 18 and percent a large portion of that was bought on the open market Gold Corp owns 12.5%, and then institutions own 15% at this time. You know, A large portion of the balance is owned by some of the best gold retail investors that we've come across in the last 20 years. This gives us the ability, in the event that we do have a success, there's a lot less people to convince of how good a discovery is, and that relatively relates directly to the volatility of a share price towards the upside if we do get into one of these big discoveries that I'm alluding to as a possibility.
2: I've been speaking with Ivan Bebek, the Executive Chairman of Oren Resources, trading on the TSX as AUG and the U.S. as GGCTF. Find the company logo and click through on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Gordon Neal, Vice President of Corporate Development for Silvercorp Metals, trading in the U.S. as SBM. Silvercore is a low-cost silver-producing Canadian mining company with multiple mines in China. The company recently commenced commercial production at its GCP project in southern China. The company's vision is to deliver shareholder value by focusing on the acquisition of underdeveloped projects with resource potential and the ability to grow organically. Gordon, welcome back to the program. Nice to see you.
7: Thanks for having me again, Ellis.
2: If you don't mind, we have new listeners all the time. Just give us a brief overview of the company.
7: We're a Canadian company with assets in China run by Canadians with a head office in Vancouver. We have six mines in the Ying District in the Henan Province and one mine in the Guangdong Province. It's a silver lead, zinc mine, and our primary metal that we sell is silver.
2: Now, you're generating revenue. It's significant. You're offering a dividend to your shareholders. Let's talk about your earnings.
7: Yeah, we had a great year this year. We did $183 million in revenue, gross profits of $82 million, net income of 43 million, and cash flow from operations was $80 million. And our net income increased by 580%. I mean, it's a, it's a very large number. And we have $95 million, $97 million in the bank. We have a dividend. As you said, we're a dividend spending out two cents US a year we have no receivables and we have no long-term debt. Part of the reason we got to where we are this year, silver price helped and so did lead and zinc. However, dilution control for us was critical. We're a narrow vein mining company. We have 224 veins in the Ying District. Ying District accounts for about 85 to 90% of our operations and our revenue and profits. And we have 224 veins on that property. Most of them are narrow vein and so dilution control is critical. And we were able to manage our processing of ore to extract the maximum amount of that silver, lead, and zinc.
2: Now, we've discussed this in previous broadcasts, but you have consistent grade. It's 300 grams per ton, approximately, and you're set to go for quite a long time, no matter what the sector does.
7: Yeah, we are grade guys, and that's an important thing. High grade's important. We just put out a resource, I think it was in February, and if you look at the mining schedule, AMC put out the report. With the resource that we have, which we have another 20 years left of mine life, what's important if you look at the mining schedule is over the next seven to eight eight years, we have access to 300 grams per ton material. So if you look at our numbers that we just put out, if you look at the fact that we can do 300 grams per ton for the next seven or eight years, if the silver price maintained itself anywhere between $15 and $17 an ounce, we should be able to put out these kind of numbers as long as we manage our dilution control and our operating costs. And we are the lowest cost, highest margin silver producer. Not many people know that, but that's the truth. We should, over the next seven, To eight years, be able to generate, I would say, between 30 and 50 million dollars in profits if the silver price stayed at between 15 to 17. People ask me, always ask me, what's going to happen to the company if the price of silver goes up? Well, everybody knows if the price of silver goes up, we all do well, and I never know what that silver price is. I do know that over the last 10 to 15 years, the silver price fluctuates and goes down. So if even if it went down to $10 an ounce at 300 grams per ton, Silvercorp would still be a profitable company. I can't tell you exactly how much we would make, but we are a company because of grade that can make money when the silver price goes backwards. And for me, that's a metric when you're investing in mining companies. When the price goes back on any metal, does the company have the grade profile to be able to be profitable or at least sustain itself?
2: Does grade really determine in some capacity the cost of production? Which in your case is either a, a dollar per ounce or, or a negative cost. Yeah, the
7: higher the grade, the more leeway you have for your expenses. And the lower the grade, the less leeway you have. The actual formula that I was taught when I worked at Mag Silver by Peter McGaw and Dan McGuinness was your net smelter return should equal two times your operating cost to give you an internal rate of return of at least 17%. If your net smelter return isn't two times your operating cost to give you an IRR of a minimum of 17, I, li- I like to use 20, then you're going to be fighting a losing battle. That metric fits us perfectly.
2: Now, when it comes to your share price, potentially there is room for quite a bit of upside in the coming months and years, depending on the market, of course, and simply uh, exposing your company to new investors.
7: Yes, we just relisted a... On the New York Stock Exchange, we're hoping that will help on the liquidity side and and some price drive. The market's a little soft right now in all cases, but in looking at our recent results, our price-to-earning ratio is about 15, and we're putting out. I'll add that to our um, our presentation shortly. What we're seeing right now is that we're at the low end in terms of valuations on the PE. We're at 15, and our competitors are between 18 and 24 on the price-earnings ratio. So we have a lot of room to grow on the price side for Silvercorp.
2: And of course, it takes a strong management team to get there.
7: Yep. No, we've got strong management. This company's been around for 11 years, 12 years, and it's gone through some of its paces as most companies has up and downs. But Right now, the management team is a strong team. We're looking at acquisitions. We've got cash in the bank. We want to grow organically, but we can grow inorganically as well by looking for creative acquisitions, which we are on the hunt for right now.
2: I've been speaking with Gordon Neal, Vice President of Corporate Development for Silvercorp Metals. Trading
1: in the U.S. as SBM. Listen to the segment again on our website, EllisMartinReport.com. You've just heard opinion, commentary, and dissertation involving publicly traded companies seeking your potential investment. They paid us for the privilege. Invest at your own risk and only after doing extensive research. Find our sponsors and listen to segments of this program again on our website, EllisMartinReport.com.